from Seattle, Washington. I'm Zach Jabal, and this is Next Round, a Fine Pair podcast conversation. We're bringing you these conversations between our regular podcast episodes in order to examine how we move forward as a drinks business during the COVID-19 crisis. Today, I'm talking with Basil Lee and Kevin Stafford, the co-founders of Finback Brewing in Brooklyn, New York. Guys, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, Zach. Thank you for having me. So let's just start out with uh, with talking a little bit about Finback. How, how did you both get started and uh, what kind of brought it into the world? Um, yeah, so I'll start. Um... We, you know, Kevin and I have been friends for, for ages and, you know, always been passionate about beer. And I'd say we opened the brewery just about, I want to say six years ago now. And it, at the time was very much that same story. It was a passion for beer, home brewing and, and, and brewing, you know, things that were fun and experimental. And then, you know, kind of just wanted to take the next step. And in New York city, there was a, a, a kind of, evolution of the craft beer bar but not so many breweries at the time and so we kind of got together we were doing a lot of competitions and homebrew kind of events together and and we wanted to open a brewery and we kind of just dove in gotcha and you know, Kevin, as far as like the the decisions you guys made in the early days, you know, I think one thing that that uh, that I read when I was doing a little bit of research and heard from Kat Walensky, who kind of is our beer, uh, you know, maven at Vinepair, was you know one of the things for for you guys is you're a little less, uh, you're a little more off the beaten path, I suppose, is uh, or or were off the beaten path. Was that a conscious decision, or or is there really is that kind of silly? Because all of you know, you're in New York City, you're not really off the beaten path in any way, shape, or form. Well, yeah, actually, we are. Um... We're in the neighborhood, uh, or we started off in the neighborhood of uh, uh, Glendale, Queens. Um, it's kind of underserved by public transportation. And um, yeah, I feel, I feel like we didn't really choose that location. That location kind of chose <laughs> us. Um, I was looking for uh, a space for almost two years. And I, f- I feel like I saw, I felt like I saw everything on the market and um, uh, no- nothing was right. And then when we when I when we finally found a place in Glendale, it was it was just kind of like a perfect fit. Gotcha. And then you recently opened a new location, is that right? Yeah, over in uh, Gowanus, Brooklyn. It's more of a centrally located neighborhood. Trains everywhere, people everywhere. Gotcha. And so, w- when did you open that? And and I think if it was during this period of uh, pandemic, how how has that been going? Uh, we we got the space back in October 2018. So, uh, you know, that was pre, uh, pandemic, um, uh, and then construction kind of moved slow and, you know, I, I think Basil could probably talk more about that. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was crazy. We thought we would open, uh, even before we knew anything about coronavirus. Uh, and then we ended up pretty much ready to open or, or, you know, preparing to open around February uh, still a little delayed and it all kind of, uh, you know, coronavirus obviously hit and everything changed. Um, I think it's been, you know, I think if you asked me that question around like March, April, we thought it was going to be a catastrophe. Um, and it was, it was like, you know, the, the world was ending and we were already so delayed and it was so, so kind of gut wrenching. Um, but looking back now, I think it ended up, you know, and I, I try to see everything, you know, with a little bit of positivity, but it ended up giving us a real long, soft opening in a way. Um, so it kind of forced us just to make decisions and 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 take things really slowly. Um, and in some ways, I think we benefited from that. You know, we were really able to just, you know, slowly get the space ready and slowly figure out what we're trying to do there. and and then. 
in some ways, because we had to pivot and do to-go beers and outdoor dining, it kind of just allowed us to open in a way that I feel like most businesses don't get the opportunity to do, right? It's almost like it's like you're thrown in the flames and opening night, it's just, uh, you know, everything's crazy and terrible and, and then you just have to sort it out. Whereas for us here, we kind of got the chance to really take it slow, you know, for better and for worse. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that, about the sort of um, impact that that COVID and, and all that has had on the business in terms of maybe not so much, um, I mean, you can talk financials if you want. I don't certainly don't don't expect you to or you don't need to, but I'm, I'm more curious, you know, from a, whether it's a, what you guys are making or or how you're interacting with your with your customers, like what have been some things that have changed, uh, if anything has changed uh, in this time? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the definitely really different than what we thought or what we intended uh, when we opened. So we ended up, so because our main production facility is in Queens anyways, and the new Brooklyn space has a five barrel system. And the idea there was really to treat it as a kind of creative studio. Um, and we're doing spirits, uh, we're doing gin, we're doing coffee, and we're doing some food. So what we really did, though, is put a lot of those projects um, a bit on the back burner and really allowed ourselves to just do a lot of pilot stuff, especially on the spirit side, small batch stuff. Um, but we really kept all the beer kept coming from Queens. Um, and, and at that point, it was really just about um, in the beginning, the early days, we didn't do production. It was really just a kind of new place to sell uh, to-go beers. You know, in, in the beginning of the pandemic, it was only to-go. Um, and then we actually, when they allowed um, outdoor dining, we did that in Brooklyn first rather than in Queens because, you know, like you said, the, the Queens location is a bit off the beaten path. And so it kind of gave us a little bit of uh, uh, of experimentation to see how things worked before we rolled it out in Queens. Um, and so I think it, it changed a lot of things, um, but kind of gave us a chance to to learn about how to deal with, with the pandemic and operating in the pandemic. Gotcha. And sort of along those lines, whether it was in the purely to-go period or when you've been able to have some outdoor seating, like – is what people are wanting, is it still the same? I mean, are the same kind of beer is still popular or or have you noticed any kind of shift in what, what your customers are, are asking for? I would say from a from a beer style standpoint, it hasn't changed uh, that much. You know, I think, um, you know, I think one thing that happened early days was just a degree of, um, I think like people, you know, being home, and not working, um, and, and a little bit of this hoarding mentality in the beginning. So maybe we saw a touch of like, you know, more low ABV kind of pilsners moving quick, quicker, but in general, I would say overall, not, not a huge change there. I think in terms of just what people wanting, you know, I think that it's always been, um, or, or people have definitely after, you know, a few weeks of being locked down, I think like just wanted to somehow find connection. Um, and, and in the beginning, it was like, you know, I feel like people were buying beers and doing a lot of Zoom kind of calls and, 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 and hanging out that way. And once we could open outdoor dining, it was it was interesting to see how people really did crave, you know, finding ways of being together. For sure. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about something that you guys have have launched during the the pandemic. Um, although it's of course much more tied to social justice movements, can you talk a little bit about the Breathing Conversations series and and what that is and and how it came to be? Yeah, sure, sure. So I think you know I think if I you know kind of go go kind of a little bit back before George Floyd and all of the kind of uh, events that happened earlier this year, you know we were 
just as a company talking as a team in terms of um, trying to figure out a little bit more how we could engage our communities and and shape our ethos a bit more consciously and uh, and directly. Um, and so I think it was just kind of topics like uh, social justice and, and even just having a more diverse team um, were being had at the company. And then when George Floyd happened, it definitely refocused us in terms of um, really wanting to do something about that. Um, and um, certainly we spoke to Marcus early days uh, when he launched Black is Beautiful, and we thought that was a, a wonderful project, obviously has had a really big impact. Um, and we wanted to do something ourselves as well, and we wanted to really think about how we could engage in a long-term way. And so Breathing Conversations, uh, the concept is that we want to have conversations ourselves, uh, internally and externally, but also to hopefully um, encourage other people to have conversations. Um, and so the idea is, is in some ways very simple, um, is on the producer, on the producer side, so on the brewery side, uh, we've invited breweries to essentially have a conversation about social justice uh, and race issues, and then somehow take that and commemorate it on the beer can or on the label. Um, and the thought is that hopefully that beer can goes out into the world and, you know, encourages some kind of discussion. Um, and hopefully friends will look at it, you know, ask a question, talk about it, and maybe bring about some change and some action. Um, so that was that was the idea. We've brewed the beer twice now. Um, I want to say we've got about 50-odd breweries who have said that they, they, they will be brewing the beer. We've had a bunch of breweries already brew the beer. So it's kind of interesting to see how it'll evolve. Gotcha. And and so, you know, I, I think this idea of, you know, kind of fostering conversation is great. I'm also wondering, you know, what is it that you see, you know, if if things are changing in the world of beer, you know, I think that an ongoing conversation has been about inclusion, both on the production side and, and, and for guests as well, you know, how, how I mean, it's obviously a huge topic and you can be as granular or as broad as you want, but, but, you know, I would imagine that's something you're both thinking of and, and, and the business is thinking about, you know, how do you try and be as inclusive as you can be? Definitely, definitely. And I think it is, it's like a, you know, like you've said, it, it, it touches on so many different kind of levels. Um, and I feel like for us, we have a little bit of a, I guess, uh, you know, kind of good starting point because New York City, I think, has naturally is naturally and has naturally, you know, become more diverse um, in general, but also obviously in the in the beer industry. Like, you know, there are definitely times when in the past few years I've just noticed we're like, wow, this this the beer drinking community in general is uh, much more diverse here, um, and so I think there's a little bit of more um, kind of just access to addressing these issues here. Um, you know, at Arbury, I would say we are relatively diverse. Um, and, and for the most part, I feel like we actually, at the brewery, are more diverse and have more work in a way to do in terms of inclusion on a gender basis rather than on a, on a racial basis at Arbury. Um, you know, we're always looking and it is an odd thing, right? On the one hand, um, I think we can definitely do a better job in, in terms of how we can engage and attract um, more diverse people. Um, and, you know, certainly I think we try to reach out in our networks and try to, 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 to put the word out, um, that we want more diversity. 
Um, and sometimes it's just a question of, of, of timing and finding the right candidates um, that I think, um, at least looking at our recent hires, you know, sometimes it's just one of these things where you try and, and, you, and it works and sometimes it, it, it doesn't work and there's not a connection. But I do think that in this community in New York City, it's, um, it's probably a lot easier than in other communities. You know, one thing that when we started breathing conversation, um, we had a lot of our friends uh, kind of reach out and we had conversations with them where they, they kind of were saying, hey, we actually have zero people of color at our brewery. Um, and, and at first I was really surprised. Um, but then, you know, some of that is just reflective of, of the community that they're in, in that it's just less diverse to begin with. Um, and, and, you know, we were talking to them in terms of how potentially they could attract more, more diversity. Um, I think, I think Garrett Oliver, you know, um, is doing really interesting work, started a foundation really to bring people of color through education and scholarships into the industry. Um, and so I think that'll help greatly. And then also one more thing, you know, in term, on that level, um, working with the New York City Brewers Guild, we have created a, you know, the guild has created essentially a scholarship to bring interns into the New York City uh, brewing community. So it'll be interns that the guild um, will, will, will essentially select, and then they'll be assigned to various breweries in the city. Um, and that'll, I think, hopefully bring more people, uh, especially early in their career, into the industry. Gotcha. Well, those all certainly all sound like like noble pursuits and, and goals, and and I'm certainly curious to to hear over time how that evolves. I I, I want to come back to something that's maybe somewhat related, but also is I think uh, just a beer question in general. And and you sort of touched on it, but I'm I'm curious. You know, you talked about how when uh, COVID started and and everyone was kind of at home, there was a lot of you know, and, and still are plenty of you know attempts to kind of connect with people via Zoom or or other kinds of you know sort of virtual outreach and then you know with beer gardens or outdoor dining and seating uh, more of an option i guess you've kind of been able to have some of that come back but you know we're entering fall winter and you know new york city i used to live there i know it's not the best place to hang out outside in the in the middle of winter you know how do you kind of envision keeping what i think is essential to any craft brewery which is that sense of community you know what are you what are you doing now and what do you envision doing uh in the you know in the months to come to kind of keep that alive with your with your customers yeah, I think, you know, that that it's like the million dollar question in terms of things that we as a team have been thinking about a lot um, you know, daily. Um, you know, on the one hand, when we when when we are when all the seats in our outdoor area, which is relatively small, are full, it 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 it's great and it's great to see people um coming out and and supporting and enjoying themselves, but it's also, you know, a little bit of trepidation trepidation in that, you know, we have to also um, our staff has to kind of manage just mask wearing and social distancing, which adds a level of kind of challenges to to, to running a place where people do want to have a good time and, and be together. Um, so I think it is a it's a balance and, and and challenging. One some things we we are trying to think about is you know especially as we transition uh, into some indoor dining, um, and we haven't done that yet is you know maybe doing you know kind of like pod pod um drinking you know reservation system but you know kind of curate it so that it might be a little bit of a tasting and people stay at their tables and 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 don't move around and kind of just have their groups that they come in uh together uh in so ways in some ways trying to just 
manage and control groups a little bit so that people can enjoy themselves and, and have community, but to, uh, yeah, to, I guess, you know, yeah, to, to, to manage it a, a bit better so that it's not as, um, kind of dangerous when it comes to social distancing issues. Um, yeah, always trying to think about that. Cause I think it's like, on the one hand, it seems con- conflicting this idea of social distancing and creating community. Um, but I think we've got to figure out how that works because ultimately we want to stay open for the next, you know, until we find a vaccine. And, and certainly if, if, you know, if people are not good and, and, and the virus spreads, you know, we certainly expect that things will close down again. Um, so it really is this kind of balancing act for everyone. Gotcha. Okay. So let's, I have a couple of last, I think, hopefully lighter questions. The first is, uh, can each of you share what your favorite beer right now is that you guys are making? Or I guess someone else's, but I assume you would probably prefer <laughs> to mention your own beer. <laughs> Kevin? Yeah, sure. Um, so right now we've been working on uh, a series of uh, dry hop pilsners or lightly dry hop pilsners uh, called Wellspring. Uh, one of our brewers, Alex, is really spearheaded kind of um, that direction of uh, uh, dry hop pilsners. And they've been turning out really good. Um, they're all single hopped. Um, but yeah, they're, they're tasting fantastic right now. Gotcha. And are those available at the moment? Uh, yes, they are. Cool. I think currently we have, uh, uh, one of the wellsprings dry hopped with a uh, Meridian. Cool. And Basil, how about you? Yeah, I gotta say, I, I agree with that, but I'm going to, I'm going to go with, and I'll stick with our beers as well, but, um, we've been releasing a lot more beers out of our kind of wood program, uh, it's kind of mixed fermentation, barrel aged sour beers. We just did a beer called Reaching Skyward, and it's all New York State peaches, um, kind of a house culture, and it's just super peachy, nicely tart. So um, beautiful. Yeah, and we're doing a bunch. We've got a few more of those coming out in the next couple of weeks, so just kind of uh, fruited um, with with local fruit and, and relatively you know tart and kind of complex and nice uh, barrel character, Brett character. Um, so yeah, th- th- those beers, but reaching skyward for me. Gotcha. And then one last question, which is a, you know maybe a little bit more complicated to answer, I, perhaps for people who are interested in in your beers, how do they get their hands on them? And and maybe you know obviously besides specifically going to the brewery, which which obviously is an answer if you happen to be in that part of New York City or willing to travel. But but are you are you in other parts of the city, the state, the region, etc.? Yeah. So I think you know we've especially after. COVID, we've definitely um, even more focused on direct-to-consumer. Um, so the tap rooms for sure, but you know, a great change to the laws from, from COVID to help the industry out was that we could start shipping beer within the state uh, and delivering beer. So we now ship beer in all of New York State. We deliver beer in, the five, in, in essentially the five boroughs in New York City, as well as our tap rooms. Um, we have a great... Um, Uh, distributor relationship in Massachusetts. So we get some beer up to New England through them. Uh, We also ship beer to DC and we're looking at shipping beer into a couple of other markets that allow um, a little bit kind of easier um, rules to allow you to ship direct to consumer. Um, And we're always looking, you know, especially during this period where we haven't been doing festivals and traveling much, you know, we'll always try to do some special drops uh, with friends or, or with breweries uh, out of state where we might release some cans. Um, I know we've done a drop, you know, in 
I want to say in California at some point in the past few months. Um, and so every, every so often we'll send some beer out just to kind of, uh, keep it fun. Gotcha. Well, maybe you can send some my way up in, uh, up in the Pacific Northwest one of these, uh, one of these months. <laughs> for sure. We'd love to. Well, guys, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, best of luck with, with, uh, with everything, uh, both in terms of the brewery and this, uh, Breathing Connections uh, series. We look forward to seeing what comes next. And, and of course, look forward to one day being able to go back to New York City and having a beer. Uh, that would be a, a delight for me. So thanks again so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vinepair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vinepair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vinepair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.